This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Before we get into this podcast, I kind of want to explain what's going on here. So I'm going to start a series starting today talking about the Rockets potential playoff matchups. If they do go into the playoffs, there's a possibility that the season ends and this is just going to go to waste. But assuming that the season continues, we're going to preview all of Houston's potential matchups, starting with the Denver Nuggets. And I'm going to do this podcast with my friend TJ McBride, who is a Nuggets beat writer for Mile High Sports and also a member of the awesome Blue Wire Podcast Network. Always love giving my friends a plug. But yeah, TJ is a really intelligent guy. He knows the Nuggets inside and out. And he's a really good guy to talk Rockets and Nuggets with. And yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off the freeway. I am here with Solomon Ali of ESPN 975 and, of course, with the Blue Wire Podcast Network running Red Nation Hoops covering all things Houston Rockets on that podcast network. So make sure you go subscribe to his podcast as well as the Rocky Mountain Hoops. But we're going to get into everything that has to do with a possible Nuggets versus Rockets playoff series. Um, We're going to get into how likely it could be, the history between those two teams, how Houston's new micro ball approach may change the way the series could be played, look at X factors, look at the most important stats and why we think those are so important and all kinds of other things. So before we go any further, how are you doing? Are you surviving your quarantine time doing nothing but sitting inside? I'm hanging there. I'm reading some books, watching some movies. Usually I don't get time to do either. So that's fun. So what things have you done that you haven't had time for? Because I'm actually like developing a long like borderline bucket list thing of, you know, just random crap that I couldn't do as a journalist or an NBA season that I can now finally do like watch Westworld and things like that. Do you have any things like that that you've been doing? Well, so I'm really into politics. I've been reading some books about politics Mm -hmm. lately and uh, I started reading Boom. actually just finished up Boomtown by Sam Anderson. It's that OKC book. It talks about, you know, the Harden trade, talks about Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and James Harden and their time together in OKC. Got time to finish that up. About to start up Return of the King uh, by Brian Brian Windhorst. I've been doing a lot of reading. It's, It's been, you know, you never get time in the regular season. There's just so much going on. And now there's absolutely nothing going on. So you have an abundance of time to not only create things like these podcasts, but you know, f- to finally get down and sit and read these books. So that's, that's been pretty much me the past two weeks. 
Yeah, it's funny because like people are like, well, the season ends eventually, but for us, like the season ends and then we have what three weeks until the draft comes around, and then we're in Vegas for summer league, and then free agency kicks off directly after that, and it literally pushes all the way up till August, and then we get right back into training camp in September. So like the idea that we can do any of these things is not really applicable because we're always moving on to the next thing. So I've been doing the same thing, man. I haven't started reading yet because I'm trying to catch up on all of these shows and movies. Finally saw knives out finally saw a parasite just absolutely incredible things and now i'm just in a hip-hop hole of just trying to get through these days without losing my sanity but i have not gotten nearly as much basketball i haven't read basketball books i haven't listened to nearly as many podcasts unless they were very you know applicable to what is going on right now so to be able to dive back into basketball in the way that we're going to today is something that i'm really looking forward to because i've missed like getting into the weeds of how these matchups work and the different ways that teams can actually be able to exploit each other in a seven game playoff series regardless of the possibilities of it being played regardless of whenever the league will return regardless of however many regular season games will precede all of these postseason games i just don't want to get into that i want to talk about basketball because i really just miss basketball so when i got into that thought process i reached out to you we started talking about getting a rockets nuggets playoff preview up and i decided why not let's do this and i think it's a great idea and now it looks very likely that if the league does come back, regardless of how they do come back, that the most likely first-round matchup for both the Rockets and the Nuggets are each other. They are the third seed and sixth seed, um, respectively. So they're going to end up most likely playing, depending on how this you know regular season shenanigans, however it plays out going forward. So is that kind of how you see it as well, that this is the most likely matchup for us to get? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that Adam Silver talked about on TNT was he was talking about possibly freezing the standings. And if that's if that's the case, that's what we're getting in the first round, Nuggets, Rockets. Yep. And, you, you know, like, I, th- I find this series so fascinating because, you know, I'm not sure if, like, you, you can answer this question better than me. Have Nuggets fans come around on the idea that Mike Malone definitely dodged the Rockets in the second round last year? Like that—that that definitely happened, right? Like we can honestly discuss that, right? Like that he tanked those last few games so he can get out of the Rockets bracket in the second round. He will never admit it. He will go to his grave, making sure that nobody knows that he, you know, willingly allowed a game to go up to go away and get a loss. He will never admit it. But the fact is, is that the Nuggets absolutely jockeyed for position in the seating to be able to avoid the Rockets last year. The interesting part of it, though, is that the reason that they jockeyed to get away from them, in my opinion, it's not James Harden. It wasn't Chris Paul last year. It's not Russell Westbrook this year. It was Clint Capella, and that we'll get into that here in a little bit, but that's absolutely the case in my opinion, because I was there. I mean, when you play like nine dudes and they have to play 42 minutes apiece to be able just to get through a basketball game, you clearly threw the game for jockeying for position to get you guys some rest, and that guise of rest is fine and all, but the Nuggets did exactly what they wanted to do, and that was play the Spurs in the first round and the Blazers in the second round and not have to face the Rockets if they were going to until the Western Conference Finals. And that was absolutely the goal in my mind. It was tempting the basketball gods. It was playing with fire there. But it, but the fire burned them. They couldn't hit a three-pointer no matter how close someone was guarding them. They were getting the Ben Simmons treatment from the three-point line, and it didn't matter in that Portland series. So you can make a real argument the basketball gods were very unhappy and still managed to find their way back to punish the Nuggets for their whatever you know slights they may have caused. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because what we we always talked about for the past couple of years, the Rockets being a really, really bad matchup for the Nuggets. This year, I don't, I'm not sure if that's the case. In fact, I think this series is closer to a coin toss than I think local media here and national media is willing to admit. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm all the way there yet, but I think it's much closer to a coin toss series than it was in, in years past. Oh man, I'm going to have some hot takes for this coming up. We're going to get to that shortly, so I'm going to hold on to my takes when it comes to the percentage chance for either team. Let's talk about what they've done so far, because I took the last two years as a sample size, because they've only, you know, when the season ends abruptly, I just wanted to add a little bit more sample size, even though they had already played four times this year. Um, so to be able to provide all of that, I believe they were, what, two and two this year, or was it three and one? I can't remember. They were two and two, and I remember and that because... And it was because, two and two last year as well. Yeah, and I, I remember they're two and two, because the last game these guys played each other was the first real team that I saw you know trapping James Harden from like full court like like as soon as he passed the half court line that the the Nuggets were the first team to aggressively implement it and it stuck out in my mind and that game was super important because it was for the tiebreaker for Houston and it didn't work out the Nuggets got what they wanted they ended the season 2-2 and you know it's unlikely the Rockets get the three seed but I mean if if they get if they even get in range that's really holding them back that like the, the the fact that the Nuggets, uh, you know, really surprised the Rockets in that la- in that last game, uh, worked out to their advantage beautifully here in the standings. And it's so fascinating when you really get into how the Nuggets defended James Harden. I actually wrote a big piece on Mile High Sports for this because I found it so interesting. They literally told Gary Harris and Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig double randomly. We don't want James to have any idea of when we're going to show up with that double team. It can be late. It can be on the catch. It can be the second he puts the ball on the deck. It can be the second that he even starts the offensive set before anything actually even gets in motion. They were not going to let him be comfortable. And I think that's the most most interesting part of a potential playoff matchup is can James Harden over seven games find a way to break through the randomness of the Nuggets defense they were dropping they were hedging they were doubling they were sending doubles on the strong side they did so many bizarre things trying just to make him uncomfortable and while of course you know James Harden averages 29 points per game against the Nuggets this season. That 29 is much lower than most of the other teams who have faced James Harden this year. They're one of the only teams who are holding him to under 30 points per game this year, if I remember correctly. And it's just so fascinating to me how they were able to do that. And a big part of it is running him off the three-point line by sending such bizarre looks his way and just trying to get the ball out of his hands at every single opportunity. No, you're right. It it was... You can't keep James Harden. You can't get him comfortable, as you said. You have to mix things up. If if you do the same thing over and over and over again, he's too smart. He's going to figure it out, and he's going to break your defense. And... The, the the way the Nuggets did it by do by doing it at random, throwing those traps when he wasn't expecting it, and especially like no team no team was aggressively trapping Harden in, in the first place. So this was already something new, and the fact that he wasn't getting time to properly get comfortable with it because the Nuggets were uh, intelligently throwing the traps at random made it even harder. The the, the fact that the timing was so sporadic. Uh, was what made it really effective. But I want to be really careful because last year, Harden absolutely torched this team. And I do think we, you have to use the full sample size of data. Uh, Harden last season averaged 36 points per game, 44% from the field, 36.8% from three-point range. Um, 
and he averaged seven and a half assists against this Nuggets team. So uh, I still don't think that if you, when you're talking one on one, I don't think the Nuggets have a defender that can properly guard him. But the the thing that's changed from last year to this year is the Rockets uh, do not have that same floor spacing element at the guard positions that they did last year. Like Chris Paul is a much better floor spacer than Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook has to make you pay with cuts, constant cuts to the basket. And if he doesn't do that, it's so easy to double with Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and any any other guard that's guarding Westbrook, Torrey Gregg, whoever. That guard can so easily slide over if Westbrook is not cutting and making that defense pay. That's what makes this this matchup so interesting. And obviously, we're going to get into the Clint Capella stuff later on. I, I suspect that's going to be. A- I'm going to get into that right now because yeah. this it just fits the mold so well of what we're talking about. Because when I go back to last season and I look at what made the Nuggets such a you know tough matchup to be able to try and overcome this Rockets team, James Harden obviously was a massive part of that. Chris Paul was obviously a massive part of that. Gerald Green and PJ Tucker hitting every corner three-pointer they were given against them was a big part of that. I won't argue any of those facts. Clint Capella's lob threat made it virtually impossible for that version of the Nuggets to defend them. If you hedge out on James Harden, the lob is there before the help can come. If you don't hedge out, James Harden's going to kill you in isolation. If you play drop, he's going to hit you with the floater over and over again, or it's James Harden with a full head of steam going straight at Nikola Jokic, which clearly is not at, at the benefit of Nikola Jokic. They did not have a way to defend the Rockets when Clint Capella was a lob threat with James Harden. It was just the end of the conversation. I threw out any possibility of the Nuggets beating the Rockets in a seven-game series last year. There was no chance in my mind. And it it wasn't because of James Harden. It was because of the, the dynamic that Clint Capella created. And now that that dynamic has been removed, and I've been told by sources in the Nuggets organization that a big reason that they got involved in that four-team trade that sent Malik Beasley and Wancho to Minnesota and also helped get Clint Capella to the Hawks was that they did not want to face Clint Capella in the playoffs again with James Harden. Full stop. They knew that that wasn't a matchup they were going to be able to win regularly. So getting him out of the Western Conference was a huge deal for them. And that to me speaks volume. So if you can take away that lob threat, suddenly you're not sliding from the corner as hard anymore and you can be able to defend that three-point shot. Suddenly you don't have to drop because you're not so terrified of the guy in the dunker zone behind you scorching you. All of that, all of that pressure disappears. And for me, that was the biggest difference when you start seeing how the Nuggets were able to defend James Harden. And of course, Clint Capella was there for, I believe, one of the games, maybe two. I know his hand injury threw it off this year. But when they played without Clint Capella and the Nuggets matched up against them, they were able to defend this team much better. The first matchup when the Nuggets held James Harden to like, they broke his 30-point streak or whatever it was that game where he shot so bad and had so many turnovers. I think he had 10 turnovers in that game. It was because Clint Capella was not there and they were able to sell out on James Harden without him just tossing the ball somewhere into the stratosphere and letting Clint Capella grab it and throw it down. That was such a big deal for the Nuggets. Yeah, and, and another thing about Clint Capella is he was just so fast. Like, I, I, Jokic could not keep up with them in transition or even in the half court. Like, he was an athletic, athletic big man in every sense of the word. And that was a tough, tough matchup for those guys. And, and Every adjustment the Nuggets made, the Rockets had a counter. As you said, the Rockets effectively swapped out a counter by by taking away that lob thread and taking away that floor spacing element from the rim running and replaced it with P.J. Tucker in the corner. And they're betting, now I'm not sure if it's going to work, but their bet is that they can get as efficient of a shot on that lob thread to Clint Capella 
that they can to P.J. Tucker in the corner for three. That oh, that wide open three that teams are going to give up uh, to properly defend James Harden and collapse on him. They're betting that P.J. Tucker can hit that at a you know forty to forty five percent clip, and that's that's tough. That's 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 rough math, and and we've seen the Rockets have really devastating three point droughts in the playoffs before. So it's a bet that. You know, it's it's really bold. It's really it's really putting all your chips on the table on a strategy that does not have many counters. But we'll see. Like what bumps me out is we won't get to see these two teams match up for the rest of the regular season. The fact that we don't get any data between these two teams playing each other and, and any, any chance to see micro ball against the Nuggets that that part really bumps me out. I do think that we have enough data on Nikola Jokic to know what this For is sure. going to look yeah. like in theory. And I think that's a really important part of this. Nikola Jokic on offense, the Nuggets are going to have a very similar volatility factor that the Rockets do. They're going to double Nikola Jokic every time because P.J. Tucker cannot defend him one-on-one. Maybe he can sometimes, but if you try and regularly defend Nikola Jokic well, one-on-one with anybody, it's not going to work. Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing because I don't think P.J. Tucker is going to defend Nikola Jokic. I think that's going to be James Harden. I think the Rockets are going to go all in with James Harden defending post, post players in the playoffs. I think I think it's going to be James Harden, and I really don't I, I don't think they're going to double. I think I think they'll I think they'll double when he gets deep positioning. But I so think, they're going to play a math game. Yeah, and I, I, I and that's going to be interesting to see if it works because if you look at all the the centers in the Western Conference, Nikola Jokic is the only one theoretically that can make you pay. Yes, and, and I'm I'm not sure uh, how it work out, and that's what bumps me out. We don't get to see this until the playoffs, if ever. If ever, that's the other thing that sucks so much. We might never get to see this because if everything falls apart, this Nuggets team has like six free agents and the Rockets are not exactly, you know, looking at sustainability and consistency with their roster makeup going forward. So we might not ever see this. And that's really frustrating. But I want to get back to something you said earlier. The Rockets have these three point droughts just like the Nuggets do. So if. If James Harden is going to defend him one-on-one, I think that that's still a recipe for disaster. I think the Nuggets are still going to score like 1.6 points per possession on every post-up that they have with Nikola Jokic on James Harden. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but... Let's let's live in a world where potentially they don't go that extreme. Let's say that they match up Robert Covington on Paul Millsap, PJ Tucker on Nikola Jokic, and they double. And they bring guys off of Will Barton or Gary Harris, who has not been that great this year as a shooter, or Paul Millsap to try and make things more difficult for him. The Nuggets... You, in theory, have some very strong three-point shooting in Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. What people don't realize, in my opinion, that hasn't been talked about enough, is that Jamal Murray is shooting under 35% from three this year on like five and a half attempts per game, which is not enough attempts and it's not enough efficiency. And Gary Harris was under 30% until the All-Star break where he finally took off and hit like 55% in the last 10 games of the season. So there is no consistency in shooting from the Nuggets side either. So what happens when the completely movable object runs into the very flimsy wall and no one can hit three-pointers? Where does this series go at that point because in my opinion that might be more realistic than them actually hitting open three-pointers yeah what's interesting is and I, I think a lot of teams NBA front offices are starting to think this way I think teams would rather take the defensive flexibility and and you know settle for an average shooter 
that then t- then take the guy who's hitting 40% but cannot defend anything to save his life. Like I I think teams are moving away from the JJ Reddicks of the world to the to the Gary Harris's of the world because it fits them better defensively and you can do more stuff versatility wise. And Yeah, Tory Craig is that kind of player for the Nuggets for sure. He yeah, fits right sure. into that mold. And you're and you're okay with him shooting 35 I think Jamal Murray's shooting like 35.8% for his career from three. I think you're you're okay with that because on the whole you're going to get you're going to get a better you know all around game because that guy can def- actually defend with the best of him in come playoff time you don't have to worry about it and you know the counterpoint to that is you're going to get these three point droughts if you don't have an abundance of 40% three point shooters on your team you're going to get those games where you're like you know 10 for 40 and that can really come back to bite you in the but in this in a seven game series, what these front offices are, are betting on is it's going to average out in your favor. You know the counterpoint to that is obviously 2017-18, where the Celtics missed a bunch of threes against the Cavs and lost that series, and where the Rockets lost a bunch of threes against the Warriors and lost that series. That's the counterpoint. But I think front offices are are still betting on in on the whole that's that's an anomaly, and we're still going to go with our gut. And you know I I I think it's the right call. I like I I I don't see a situation where the Nuggets win a series against the Rockets where Gary Harris is not a central figure in that, uh, and same thing with Jamal Murray. But it it is interesting because in a seven game series, you know you don't know if both teams are going to be off for one night or if one team's going to be off. It, that's that's what makes this this series so watchable. I completely agree. And like again, that volatility factor of literally anything can happen. You could have one of two players have a 30, 40, 50 point triple double at any given point between Nikola Jokic and James Harden, obviously. You could have teams hit 29 threes in a game and break a record like both the Nuggets and the Rockets have done, or they can each hit single digit threes like the Rockets and Nuggets have done. You could have James Harden on Nikola Jokic. You could have Robert Covington on him. You could be trying to hide Jamal Murray on Daniel House, like the matchups, the all of these Things are so fluid between these two teams, and I find it fascinating, and I'm really excited because, in my opinion, I think the Nuggets now, they have the advantage in that chaotic situation because... Overall, I think they might just have more talent one through nine. Is that fair? Uh, Again, because obviously you cover the Rockets way closer, and obviously James Harden is a better player than Nikola Jokic. But overall, one through nine of a playoff rotation, the Nuggets are more talented, wouldn't you say? I mean, they've won more games in the regular season. It's, I don't think it's crazy to say that. Like, like if you just you know wrote an article or whatever that said definitively the Rockets are not the Rockets, the Nuggets are the better team. Like, I, I'm how can you really disagree? Over the past two years, the Nuggets have had the better regular season record on the whole. Now, matchup wise is what you know what makes the playoffs really interesting, right? Can the Nuggets beat the Rockets in a seven game series, and will that talent you know that will that talent disparity make up for? Um, what 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 could be a very bad bad matchup on the perimeter, and I don't know. I I can't answer that question until we see, see these two teams play. But yeah, I think it is fair when you look at the depth of the roster for for the Nuggets and the fact that the Nuggets have been, you know, pretty good defensively. Like the mm-hmm. the, the, the Nuggets don't get enough credit for how good they've been defensively, and the, the Rockets probably don't get enough flack for how average they've been defensively for the past two years. Like the the Rockets are not the same team they were in twenty seventeen eighteen. Like they just aren't. Like that that team could play both ends of the floor at an elite level. I'm not sure if this team can for an extended stretch of time. Like 
un- under microball, the Rockets are betting that they can get back to that same spot defensively. Uh, I I don't know. Like the early returns are like they're pretty much like if you look at net rating before and after the microball uh, move, it's pretty much the same thing. Like they're both plus mm-hmm. five, and they're they're both you know around fifteenth defensively and. I guess the trade-off is you're much better offensively, right? Because you're you're spreading the floor around Russell Westbrook, and and you you no longer have um, two guys collapsing on James Harden. But I still see I still see teams doubling on James Harden. I don't think that's going away, and I still see teams you know taking their chances with Westbrook at the rim because Westbrook isn't like an elite elite finisher at the rim. He's like pretty much average, but he gets yeah. there so often that you don't really think about it. But yeah, he's uh, it's interesting. The trade-off they're making there by by going with Robert Covington instead of Clint Capella, I, I think Matt Moore put it best on my podcast, and, and he he said that the floor for this Rockets team got lower, but the ceiling got higher. And yeah. that against the worst teams in the Western Conference, they've given them a chance, but against the better teams, they have a higher higher ceiling. So against the Lakers and Clippers, they've raised their ceiling, but against teams like the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Mavericks, they've raised they've lowered their floor. So that's the trade-off they made when they made this trade. And I, it's it's so funny and and interesting that the Nuggets helped facilitate this trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. Like like the, yep. that that that's going to go down as something we talk about a lot if these two teams play each other. That trade. I can't wait to see this. And also, it's so funny that you brought up Matt Moore because I sit literally right next to him at Nuggets games. So I've literally heard him say that identical sentence of the ceiling being higher, but the floor being lower to me multiple times at Nuggets games this year. So I found that very, very funny. Matt Moore is the best. So definitely go follow HB Basketball if by some random chance you don't at this point. But I want to go back to the micro ball because you said the, the, the net rating for them before and after micro ball is essentially the same. But when I look at the micro ball time, which granted is a very very small sample size. That's a story of two halves. This is a team that came out of the gates with microball firing and they look great. And then it started to seem like they fell off. What was it? One in four in their last five games, I believe is what it was. That stretch I found very indicative of to what it could look like in a playoff series, because I think it's schemable. I think with enough film and enough data, you can figure out exactly the ways to counteract what makes that microball line up functional is that fair yeah and it's also possible that these players are getting would get exhausted after doing it for yes, a seven that's game a big series. part of it for sure like like that argument cannot be you know dismissed like pj tucker may get exhausted you know having to switch on to all these guys on the perimeter and and same thing with james harden having to guard all these post-up guys like yeah like yeah you're utilizing their strengths to their their maximum capacity but having clint capella in the on the back end just in case it goes wrong like that. That's why you have that guy, right? Yeah. That, that's why that guy is still worth something in the NBA. But the Rockets decided, you know what? Like the trade-off is worth it for us. And over a seven-game series, yeah, we may get tired, but listen, we have these. We have we have time to rest between games. That's what's different between the regular season and the playoffs. We have time to recuperate. Um, and you know, we'll see. We'll see if these guys can hold up through for a seven-game series against the Nuggets because the, the Nuggets certainly have the capacity to make them pay for the direction they're going in. So I know it's a small sample size, but do you agree or disagree with the microball approach? For this specific Rockets team, mm-hmm. I think it's better yes. than what they were doing before. 
Okay, cool. And I, I also love the fact that they're willing just to go all in on a bizarre idea and try something new. That's something that I wish there was more of in sports. Like, I wish it wasn't just the same West Coast offense or play-action offenses in football. Like, I'm so sick of watching football because it's just they don't have a whole lot of that ingenuity anymore. And seeing Mike D'Antoni just throw out the playbook and start something entirely new has been really refreshing, and I've enjoyed watching it. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the microball approach? Well, it's interesting because a move like that takes buy-in from all levels of the organization. So not only Daryl Morey, but as you said, Mike D'Antoni had to be in on it. James Harden had to be in on it. P.J. Tucker had to be in on it. That's the big one. (laughs) Yeah, everybody had to be in on this, and they all seem like they want to do it. And it's really benefit. Like you've you've seen the numbers with Russ, right? Like Russ is definitely thriving under microball. Sure, and that's. It's, it's, it's funny, like the Rockets made this move in July and they, we expected that the team would largely stay the same except for swapping out Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. But that's clearly not the case. They they made a major, major identity shift mm-hmm. to, to help cater the team to Russell Westbrook. And the team has become more and more morphed in, in Westbrook's image uh, as opposed to what it was before, which is more morphed in, you know, James Harden's image. And th- that, that to me is the real takeaway from that Robert Covington trade. Like it was made, it was more a move for Westbrook than it was for Harden. All right, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our friends at Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, or even the weather. Visit their website and join them to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code Blue wire, all one word, all caps. Bet online, your online wagering experts. That's really fascinating. And also, I really have a lot of respect for Russell Westbrook willingly bending his game to make it fit what they were doing. He has not been a problem, it seems like, in terms of his play style. And that's like, of course, he'll take bad shots. Of course, he'll drive one on four and transition sometimes. But like, overall, it seems like he's overall done the best of his ability to fit into this system while they've also tried to blend it to his skills as well. So like you said, that team effort is a really cool thing to see happen in real time. And it's made me a bigger Russell Westbrook fan than I was before. So I've enjoyed watching that team so much with Russell. Honestly, probably more more than with Chris Paul. Have you enjoyed watching this team more with Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul? No, but I'm a huge okay, Chris Paul it. fan. I'm okay, a huge that's fair. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm a Chris Paul the top guy, so don't don't even worry. Like that makes a lot of sense here. So. <laughs> yeah. No, um, yeah, no, I get it. Like a lot of people have, have expressed that to me. Like Westbrook is just so unpredictable night to night and and that's what makes it interesting to a lot of people. Like like he the highs and lows with Westbrook are like like you can write a book on Westbrook. Like he, he, he like and it's 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 just a different game. Now you never know what you're going to get and that to me is what's been interesting covering this team. Like Westbrook compared to Chris Paul. Chris Paul is so consistent. Like he'll get you a 91 effort every single night, but Westbrook will get you sometimes a 95 and sometimes a 76. Like like the the range that Westbrook will give you is just so wild and and I guess the the, the bet the Rockets are making with that trade in July is that in May, June, and I guess not May and June anymore, I guess more yeah. July, April, you're going to get those 95 games. It's a good bet. I like the bet. Um, so let's talk about X factors in this series because this is a really interesting aspect of this as well. Um, I have 
Well, I have four, and two of them are cheating. One we already talked about, which is Clint Capella. Um, and then the other one is just see if the Nuggets can ever hit a three-pointer. So those are really the two X-Factors I have. But did you have any specific ones from the Rockets' point of view as to big X-Factors in this game? Yeah, I mentioned I kind of touched on it earlier, but can PJ Tucker hit enough of those corner threes to really make up for that for losing that lob threat with Clint Capella? Because as you mentioned, when you play a drop back defense, you're going to collapse a lot more. And when you collapse a lot more on James Harden, like you, you no longer have that bailout with Clint Capella. So that that option's going to be PJ Tucker in the corner for three. And if, if he hits a high enough percentage of those threes, you can make up for it. But if he doesn't, then this doesn't make sense. It, you're 100% right there because that throws out everything this was supposed to do. You're supposed to create lots of open threes or lots of easy buckets at the rim. And if neither of those really exist, this was kind of all for naught. Um, that's really fascinating because it's going to be the same thing for the Nuggets. Can Gary Harris or Paul Millsap or Jamal Murray or Jeremy Grant or Will Barton or anybody on this team find a way to hit any corner threes? The Nuggets were only getting like 6% of their three-pointers from the corner. Like it was really atrocious they were not able to generate what michael malone calls paint threes where you get past the first line of the defense then collapse the defense and kick out from the paint to the corner or the wing or wherever an open shooter may be to convert that look they just weren't creating those looks at all so gary harris is the first big x factor i have in this series his defense on james harden and russell westbrook is going to be highly important obviously but if he can find a way to just be a passable shooter to where you just have to think about defending him, their offense is going to open up dramatically. So for me, Gary Harris is probably the most important X factor in this series. Ooh, can I add one for me? Yes, please do. Eric Gordon. So, I had Eric Gordon on my list. Okay, continue. Keep going. I want to hear what you have to say. Eric Gordon's having a rough, rough season. And mm-hmm. um, this is one of those those things where like they need Eric Gordon of old to have any chance in the playoffs, not just against the Nuggets, but against any team in the playoffs. Like they need, they need Eric Gordon of yesteryear, not not Eric Gordon of this year. And he had that surgery on his knee, and his shooting percentages are way off this season. He's been really inefficient this year, but in the playoffs, they, that's just not going to fly. And you know, I, I'm I'm interested to see if this quarantine period for the world, basically, I, I'm interested to see if that helps him get back to where he was last year and even the seasons prior. Because going into the playoffs last year, Eric Gordon looked really freaking good. But, yeah, the athleticism returned and everything too. Like he was yeah. bouncy. Yeah, yeah. And if if that can come back, then the Rockets are are the same threat that we think we they are. But if they're not then their floor drops even more as a playoff team. For sure. So let me, let's me let add one more X factor for both teams, which is this quarantine. The One of the most interesting conversations I have heard on a podcast recently was actually Matt Moore and then Adam Mares of DNVR when they did the Locked On NBA or Locked On Nuggets podcast together. And they were talking about Nicole Jokic's season in review and what he could look like after the quarantine. And the question that Matt Moore asked to Adam was brilliant, which was, where does Nikola Jokic live and what facilities does he have? Because if these players can't be in a gym that's public, if they can't go to the now closed down training facilities and they don't have their own gym, what are they doing? I are these guys able? It's fascinating because yeah. like it, it's almost like the only the people that have their own home gyms and their own home courts are going to be able to be ready for the season to resume. Players like Nikola Jokic who are playing Call of Duty Warzone until the 
freaking sun comes up, they're going to not be doing those things. And it's really interesting which of these players are going to actually be able to be ready. Because the same thing can be said for Gary Harris, who was injured all... He, Gary Harris has had 12 lower body injuries in 24 months. That's the biggest culprit in my eyes as to why his shooting numbers have fallen off a cliff. So in theory... Gary Harris could come back much better. But on the other end of that, an oft injured Gary Harris who always has lower body injuries coming back from sitting on a couch for two months to trying to play postseason basketball. That's actually more worrisome. So the X factor of just this event, this circumstance that we're all living with, I have no idea how to quantify it, but it's going to be so important. And what's also interesting is these two these two teams specifically have players that have reputations for not coming to the se- the season in the best of shape, yes. right? In in both Jokic and Harden, and you know uh, I'm not sure if you got to read that Woj article uh, over the I guess weekend now no I, I, it came out on Tuesday so I don't know what day it is anymore so but yeah, I probably yeah. got to it at some point they're all blending together but it, they, <laughs> but it talked about Harden uh, in that practice facility getting up shots with John Lucas and. Uh, the call came down from the league office that that was no longer permittable. And they basically got kicked out of the gym, like while Harden was working out and, and the Rockets, I mean, the Rockets can't make their facilities available anymore. As you mentioned, like neither can any team in the NBA and, you know, you know, perhaps Harden, you know, he's, he's a pretty high profile guy. He can find gyms around Houston that he can find that he can get private workouts in. But like, what if they don't? And what if they use this time, not in the most efficient of manner, and what if they come into the season not in great shape? And if is there going to be a runway? That, that that's another big question. Is there going to be? A, the, I was just going to bring that up. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, like, are they going to pause the season? Or are we going to go into the playoffs right away and have this series? Or is there going to be a lead up to the playoffs? Because if there is a lead up to the playoffs, then these these players have time to get back in shape. But if there isn't, man, we might get some ugly first round basketball. Like yeah. ugly first round basketball. Yeah, and on top of that, you start talking about these teams like the Nuggets who have been trying to find their exact identity all season long and the Rockets who just shifted theirs entirely. They desperately need this practice time to be able to smooth off those edges to be the best version of themselves. The Nuggets defense went down by like seven points per hundred possessions after the after the All-Star break. They fell apart. And the only way that defense is going to improve is if they can get in the gym and actually practice. So it's not just the runway of regular season games. How much practice time is allowed for these guys? Is there going to be a two-week training camp again? Like, how is this going to operate? We don't have answers. I'm not asking this to actually get an answer from you. It's all rhetorical, but it's fascinating to look at all of those different potential footnotes into what will be, you know, the most fascinating playoff series, you know, plural, of all time. Like, this is one of the most unique experiences in sports, and I don't know how they're going to navigate it. Yeah, and you also wonder if the league tries to cut some fat from their schedule. Like, are we going to, we talked about at the top of the podcast going back to summer league and having our daily schedule again. Are we even going to have a summer league? Like, are we even going to have, like, a lot of the stuff that makes the regular season so 365? Like, are, are we just going to cut some of that out so we can get to next season and, and get the schedule back in shape? Like, are we starting next season in December? Is that the plan? Because that's what people keep talking about. And, like, all these owners are talking about, you know, they're definitely going to try and finish the season off. What if we don't? What if we don't crown an NBA champion? Does this season have an asterisk on it? Do all these points, all these records, do, do all, does it still go into the record books or do we just not count it? 
Let's take it a step further. What happens to LeBron James' legacy? What happens to Greg Popovich in his potential final year coaching at the NBA level? What happens to Vince Carter for the longest ever NBA career and the most, you know, beautifully way that he was able to go out up until the season just stopped? Like, how do all of those legacy questions get involved in the conversation? How does Giannis's season, where he's basically defensive player of the year and scoring at the rim like Shaquille O'Neal while hitting 30% of his pull-up threes, what does that even mean? Like, I, I don't don't know how we're going to be able to not crown a title they have to find a way to do that because these questions will forever hang over the league as a black mark you know the asterisk is a nice term for we have no idea what was coming and we didn't get an opportunity to so like because of that are these legacy questions going to become you know tainting what was prior what is the new norm going to be how do we even move forward from this that's one of the more interesting things to me is how do you quantify lebron james because this might be one of his last premier seasons at the nba level that we just got stolen from us when he had a real shot to win a title with the los angeles lakers that's a monumental moment to miss out on and i don't know how it's going to change the history of basketball and you don't think players like Chris Paul are like biting at the at the yeah. apple to, to try to have a last nice playoff series? Like like Chris Paul really wants to show that he still has it. And the Oklahoma State Thunder have been such a fun story this year, and it'd be such a shame if they can't get into the playoffs and not finish it off and try to you know maybe win a first round series. Like what about what about coaches that are on the on the hot seat or on the last year of their contract? What about, what about Mike D'Antoni? Yeah, who's, who's on the last year of his contract and presumably has a lot to or has a lot to gain by making a deep playoff run. What if he doesn't get a chance to make that deep playoff run? Like like do do the Rockets just uh add another year onto his contract do, do the rockets move on from d'antoni like, like what what happens there like there are so many unanswered questions and yeah it would it would really piss you off as an nba fan like you and i would not want that to happen but i mean this is a public health issue like like public health over anything else like as soon as rudy gobert got coronavirus it was over we all knew there was no way the league could continue and if and, you know, I'm reading all this stuff about how the coronavirus might may come back in the fall. What if it does come back in the fall? What if players uh, still get infected in midseason? Do we stop the season again? Like, there's just so many things that to, to work out here. There's a lot of kinks that the league office needs to think about. And I'm sure they are. They're spending these next two months or whatever, you know, properly debating all these things. But I don't know, man. Like, like... I, I heard Zach Lowe talk about it on his podcast, but yeah, I, I completely agree with him. There is a non-zero chance that we end the season without a champion. And you know what? Like, it, it may be the right thing to do in terms of getting everything back on track, and it may be the right public health thing to do, but it, it's going to suck for all these teams, man, that worked their ass off for 60-plus games. Yeah, I look back at like Sabrina Ionescu over in Oregon. Like she was, she is the premier college women's basketball player ever right now. That's how she's being perceived. And her senior year just got stolen from her. March Madness is gone for these kids who have built their entire life to get here. But like you said, this is a public health issue first and foremost. There's a reason I haven't left this apartment in 14 days. Like most people should all be doing as well. Like we all have to come together to do this. And a crowning of an NBA 
NBA champion does not matter. An NBA season does not matter. This is a game. People's lives are at stake. And as someone who also studied politics, like it sounds like you did as well, these things, you, you start looking historically at what potentially the outcome could be, and you can't mess with what could be coming with this kind of an outbreak, this kind of a pandemic, and the lack of response that we have given to it. So you're 100% right. This is just a game to be very very clear basketball is just a game and while we can enjoy talking about it in the way that we have today we have to also be very cognizant of the reality that we are living within and all of these things so honestly lebron james's legacy is so far on the back burner when it comes to these conversations but i that doesn't mean that it's not still fascinating to talk about so i kind of wanted just to paint that picture because i'm not you know this this whole podcast to talk about basketball is not to laugh in the face of coronavirus as if, as if it's not a big deal it's obviously a massive deal, but everyone needs some sense of normalcy in their life. And that's kind of how, you know, the, the lens that I'm trying to view this through. No, like 100%. And I, and for what it's worth, I hope we do crown a champion this season. I, I hope we do get to finish it off. Uh, I, I hope, you know, for, for all of our sake, I, I hope this coronavirus, you know, like I, I hope like all the downplaying that a lot of people have done with this virus. I hope, I hope that's all true. I hope we all look. Yeah. This. I would love to be so wrong about everything that I've yelled in the endless abyss. That is Twitter. Like I would love to be wrong. And I hope that all of these, I'm going to, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be nice. All these ignorant people who refuse to look at facts for what they are from people who are professionally trained to be scientists in the response of a pandemic. But regardless of that fact, I hope you're right. And I hope that all of those things are very true, that it's not a big deal and it never was a big deal because it means that lives were saved. So uh, that's that. That's really where I'm at with that. Um, let me ask you this, though, because I want to get back into basketball now that we've waxed poetically about coronavirus. Um, what's the most important stat, in your opinion, for this going forward in this series? That's tough. I, 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 it's really tempting to say rebound percentage, right? I was, yeah, I was going to ask about defensive rebounding. Yeah, like it, it, it's really tempting to say uh, the Rockets have to control the offensive glass from the Nuggets, right? Like they, they, they have to keep that shit under control. But I don't know. Like, like I'm starting to fall back more and more. Like, like I used to. I used to tell people, like on a random NBA night, if you just want to find out who wins a game, just go check that rebounding stat. (laughs) But now, more and more, I'm starting to look at that three-point percentage stat. Like, it's starting to be more and more of an indicator of who wins a a basketball game. You know, a lot of people might find that a little bit uncomfortable, but it it is really a Mm -hmm. thing. Like, you you look more and more, you you look at three-point percentage, and 80% of the time, whoever had the higher percentage is going to win the game. And I I think that I think that might be my stat. Like I, I think it really might be uh, three point percentage in terms of who went. Like if I were to put all my money on one stat to predict the series for this for you know Rockets Nuggets, I would put I would put it on three point percentage. I really like that, and I think it's the good one because it works both ways. Whether it's Nuggets, whether it's Rockets, that three point percentage for either team, both of them just finally have to be able to hit those shots. Um, when I start looking at this, I, the thing that I keep looking at is the three point fall off that James Harden has against the Nuggets this season. He goes from I think it's twelve point three threes a game this season to like seven point five against the Nuggets, and it's such a stark 
contrast. And that, to me, it speaks volumes about the fact that, for, uh, first of all, like, like we talked about before, the random doubles, the fact that the Nuggets are staying in communication and getting the ball out of his hands. It also means they're not letting him relocate after the ball gets out of his hands. They're face guarding him and not letting him move. But even with the fact that he's taking five less threes per game, he has only shot 11 of 21 at the rim this season and last season. So his rim percentage numbers have not been able to reflect the extra space he is getting from the Nuggets selling out to stop him from shooting threes. That is fascinating to me, and it speaks to the communication the Nuggets have had defensively to be able to hedge out, scramble, recover, and get somebody on him going to the rim, whether it's off a cut, whether it's blowing by somebody, whatever it may be. So the fact that they're able to limit his three-point attempts while also hurting his efficiency at the rim, I find very, very fascinating. Yeah, I think the two guys that get really undersold when we talk about the Nuggets over the last five years is Mike Malone and Paul Millsap. Like, like yeah. I, I think Mike Malone, he ever since he was hired by the Nuggets, he's really set the right tone for this team. Back when Nicole Jokic was still a young player and battling for minutes with uh, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, like. Yeah. <laughs> What a bizarre time in history. <laughs> I was like, never, ever be able to understand that time. Continue, though. No, no. I mean, like, he's really set the proper culture for them. And the yes. signing of Paul Millsap was another big one where, like, I, the, the Nuggets really went from, like, middle to pack defensively to, like, they can consistently be a top 10 defense. And, like, I, like, I think when you talk about this Nuggets team, like, that really carries over to the playoffs. And, like, those guys are, like, bedrocks for this team. Um, and same thing with Gary Harris on the perimeter, obviously. But, though, yeah. but th- those two in particular. And they give them all the free reign. I was talking with Wes Unsell Jr. They're like, you know, pseudo-defensive coordinator, lead assistant coach on the Nuggets bench. He he literally told me, he was like, we give them free reign to do what they want. We trust Paul Millsap and Gary Harris's IQ and understanding of the defensive philosophies to do what they need to do how they see fit, which is why the randomness of those doubles was so effective in that way. The Nuggets have allowed them to do that. And the Michael Malone thing is really interesting because for, I, I don't know if you see Denver Nuggets Twitter. It's a hellscape, so I wouldn't recommend it. But <laughs> overall, they hate Michael Malone. I hear people calling for his job so often, it's mind-blowing to oh, me. Oh, it's, it's the same with Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, I, I can oh see that. God. Also, the chaos of the Rockets with Tillman Fertitta just being whatever insanity that he is, as well as, as all of the chaos that exists from Daryl Morey and the China stuff to D'Antoni as a lame duck coach. To, it's just so much chaos. I couldn't imagine being a Rockets fan right now. Yeah, I mean, Rockets Twitter feels the same with my, with Mike D'Antoni, and I feel like every time I talk about Mike D'Antoni, like I, I'm yelling at the clouds here. Like, this yes, guy yes. is so important to your identity and your culture that you guys have no idea. You have no idea how much the, the, the players in that locker room respect him. Like, you have no idea. Like, you talk to them. Like, just have them one-on-one talk to them off the record or on the record. They'll tell you how important Mike D'Antoni has been, especially for these role players, to their career. Like. Yep. Like he's put them in the proper positions to succeed every year, year in and year out. And yeah, maybe they haven't won a title, but twenty nine teams don't win a title every year. And if Mike D'Antoni doesn't go, uh, goes his career without winning a title, I hope that doesn't happen. But if he does, he's still gonna guess what? He's still gonna be a first bad Hall, Hall of Famer. And it's, it's not just because of his influence on basketball. He's genuinely a really good coach, and it doesn't get talked about enough. Same thing with Mike Malone. Mike Malone, uh, you know. I don't think he gets enough credit when we talk about the Nuggets. 
One of the biggest indicators, in my opinion, of seeing how a coach is able to get through to his team is those phrases that the coach uses with media and that he uses in terms of terminology start to bleed into the players' responses to questions as well. You'll hear players re- like almost identically say the same sentences as Michael Malone does. And that's not because they were handed a sheet of paper of, here is what you say when questions come in. It's because they take these things to heart and they believe in these coaches to get them where they need to be. And I agree with you. Mike D'Antoni is the first ballot Hall of Fame coach. Like he has been incredible, not just legacy of the sport, but in terms of just winning basketball games. He's the only coach in New York Knicks history for the last, what, 35 years to win anything? Like I I don't know how people don't grasp onto these things. I don't know how the Kings decided to fire Michael Malone because DeMarcus Cousins got meningitis 10 games into the season. If there's one thing I've realized about sports, especially looking at like the Philadelphia 76ers situation and things like that, is that we have given too much credit to people. <laughs> we expect them to make these great decisions because they're in positions of power, but they're not necessarily more intelligent than anybody else at a lot of these things. And people who are smart, like Tim Connolly, like Daryl Morey, will consistently find ways to go outside the box to create good opportunities for everybody involved. And it seems like both have been able to do that. Of course, then Leslie Alexander sold the team. And things started to change a little bit in Houston. But overall, prior to that, it felt like it was going very similar to how the Nuggets were doing things. And it was encouraging. Uh, Let me ask you this. In terms of coaching, which coach has an edge in this series? Um... I'm going to say it's a wash. Uh, like I, I have a high degree of respect for both coaches. Uh, you know, may, maybe the slight edge to Dan, D'Antoni because he has a little bit more playoff experience, but I mean, not much. Like I, I really, in terms of coaching, unless you have like a Greg Popovich or Brad Stevens level decision maker, like it's really, really difficult to parse the leaves there. Like, I, it, you know, coaching is important. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of playoff matchup, I'm not sure how much it gives you an edge over the other coach. Uh, like playoff experience, winning games, whatever. Like, I, I, I think it's relatively a wash there. Yeah, 99 times out of 100, I would agree with you. But because of the volatility of the series, I do think coaching could play more of a factor in this series compared to others. Not that it's the trend, it's more of the exception. But I do feel like there is going to be some level of importance there. And I think that Mike D'Antoni, he's a little bit, uh, he's one of the, he's calmer. He doesn't get so flustered. Michael Malone looks like he's going to take a chair and hit somebody with it, like it's WWE WrestleMania. So, like, there's some intensity to him to where he kind of gets a little foggy sometimes. And I, also think that D'Antoni is a little bit more creative so I do think that you're going to see a little bit of an edge there but again 99% of the time I think you're right coaching does not really matter that much Um, let me ask you well go ahead go ahead I didn't mean to cut you off I mean I I was going to ask you like straight up if you wanted to end the podcast by making a pick here because like I, I, I think that's what people really want to hear here, right? Like, I, that, that's no, no, nobody <laughs> yes. give, nobody gives a crap about the first 50 minutes of this podcast they care about the money time right here who will win this series and how many games I'm taking the Nuggets in six games winning in Houston. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same exact thing except for the Rockets. I'm saying the wow. Rockets, I'm saying the Rockets win in six games. And it Which home been, game are they taking then? Uh, I think they like take from the, the Nuggets. I think they take the second one. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a good pick for sure because the Nuggets do get flat-footed after they have a big win. They get the emotional letdown of the next game sometimes. Again, like it would not surprise me if it went the other way and it was Nuggets and seven. Those are the two most likely scenarios here. Like if you're putting, if you're if you're making bets here, like it's 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 either Rockets and six or Nuggets and seven. Like those two are, are like on the high leaderboard in terms of po- possible outcomes. But but at the same time, like 
I still think like the Nuggets in general. I don't think they have a a good positive one on one option for James Harden. I think that matters so much. And at the same, it works the other way too. The Rockets do not have a one on one option for Nikola Jokic. Now they're going to try James Harden, and who knows how effective that'll be. We again, we we haven't gotten the chance to see that, but I I think both teams have an advantage one uh, in terms of their superstars, and I think if it's that way, I, I'm going to pick the better superstar. Yeah, sense. and that's totally fair. I mean, in the NBA, the better player usually tends to have his team come out on top. That's just kind of the reality of the sport. When you only have five guys per team on a court, the one tends to impact the overall a lot more than when you have 11 or, you know, all of these other sports that have different people on there because I don't care about other sports right now. But it has been a lot of fun, man. Seriously, I enjoyed getting into basketball again. It's been too long since I've gotten to nerd out like this about a series and all of all of the differences that could potentially come into play. So thank you for doing this, man. Seriously. No, for sure. I mean, we got to talk about some X's, some O's. It was fun. Like Finally. We, we got to talk about some percentages. <laughs> and we got to get a little political, too. We got to yeah. get a little bit of everything sprinkled in there. Without angering people. I don't think we <laughs> angered people. I Hopefully we didn't. You know? Listen, my people tend to hate me. So we'll see if they act like I swear they listen to this podcast that I hate sometimes. But you know what? It's still a click. So thank you for clicking, people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I really enjoyed doing this. Uh, and I would love to podcast with you down the road, my friend. Man, I appreciate that. And tell them where to find all your work as well. All of those like 17 locations of where you could produce content. <laughs> uh, the two main locations I would recommend. I don't I don't recommend checking out all 17. I recommend checking out ESPN <laughs> 97.5 and checking out uh, the Red Nation News podcast and give us a subscription. Uh, especially if the Rockets and Nuggets play a playoff series. Like Nuggets fans, come check me out. I guarantee you it will be relevant to you in the playoffs. 100%. And I'll be there. So as long as the playoffs happen, we will be running into each other. And I have a very strong suspicion we will, we will be doing another podcast. So again, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to have you on. We'll be, we'll be doing this again in the future, I'm sure. And hopefully there is basketball to cover in the very near future. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. You too. All right, that was a fun podcast with my friend TJ. Make sure to follow him on Twitter if you haven't already done so. And make sure to look out for our next podcast. We are going to continue our series of rewatching old Rockets games. The next game, Rockets at Warriors, December 1st, 2016. You guys remember this? This is the first real Rockets-Warriors game where I feel like the rivalry started. I feel like it started in 2016 when the Rockets built that really fun team with Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon and NA in that offseason. So be sure to look forward to that. Follow me on Twitter at SoulModelNBA. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs>